Amen. Y'all thank the band for leading us. Come on, put your hands together. It's a good thing. Now, just real quick, how many of y'all had a fantastic day? Anybody? Come on. How many of y'all say, I feel so much better tonight than I did last night? Anybody? Yes, a couple of you. That is perfect. All right, well, uh, let me just say thank you to all the guys in here that uh, made me feel so welcome on the basketball court today. Uh, It was fun. Uh, You guys are a fun group of people. And, uh, man, have fun hooping with y'all. And uh, I'll be a little sore tomorrow because I'm old. All right, so uh, it's all good. How many of y'all just want to hear a story just for the heck of it? Anybody? All right, good. Here we go. Put your Bibles up. No, I'm kidding. We'll get to that. All right, I promise. Uh, let me just give you a story. When I was uh, little, y'all are going to have a hard time believing this, okay? What's your name right here drinking out of the orange water bottle? Hey, Madison. How are you tonight? Everybody say, hi, Madison. Yes, you got lots of friends. All right, so Madison, when I was little, I was incredibly um, ADHD, ADD, all the ADDDs things, okay? And so I was on medication, stayed on medication until I was about 24. It's cool, all right? I, I worked it out. I'm 43. I'm good. All right, and so uh, I was highly medicated. I was extremely hyperactive, and so um, I would just go crazy. And so one morning, Madison, I came to the breakfast table, and my parents had started me on medication. They had changed my medication, and I didn't want to take it. So they hit it in my oatmeal. And so I come to the breakfast table and I sit down, I'm in the fourth grade, and I sit down at the breakfast table and I begin to eat my oatmeal and the new medicine's in there, right? And and so I eat the new medicine and instead of the new medicine slowing me down, which it was supposed to do, it sped me up. It was awesome. And so I'm sitting there at the breakfast table. My sister is sitting across from me and all of a sudden I start doing this. I start going, my tongue just uncontrollably started moving. It's like, and my sister's looking at me. She already knew I was strange, but I took it to a whole nother level. Then my mouth began to foam. They figured out what was wrong, and I was cool. But in the summer, my mom would try to get rid of me because I was so hyperactive. I know y'all can't envision this. And so my mom would take me to this place called the YMCA Day Camp. True story. And she would drop me off there, and literally, they had a gym, and I had one friend. His name was Tommy. We would take turns chasing each other around the gym. I'd be so exhausted by 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon my mom picked me up. She'd have a quiet night nice night at home. It was perfect for her. And well, on this one day, she drops me off. I'm in the fourth grade. And um, I come in, and y'all have to understand a couple things about me when I was growing up. Not only was I incredibly hyperactive and annoying, um, but um, I hadn't had braces yet. And um, I have gigantic teeth, okay? Um, Smile. All right, and uh, they're they're dinosaur teeth. And because I hadn't had braces yet, they kind of stuck out. And so I just wasn't the best looking kid, okay? But I'd walk in and be like, what up? All right, all the girls would be like, oh, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I'm that guy. And then my mom thought it'd be really cool to give me a butt cut, all right? So my hair was parted straight down the middle. It just went, all right? So I was like the ugliest kid in Shreveport, Louisiana. Like, what up? All right, so I'd walk in, and I looked at Tommy on this one morning. True story, Matt. And uh, we decided that Tommy would start chasing me first around the gym, right? This is a scene. All the other kids just stayed away from us. And so on this morning, uh, I start running. And I'm like, my hair. And all the kids are like, they're so weird. All right, and so we're running around the gym as fast as we can. And how many of y'all, were when you're in the fourth grade, got a bright idea that was totally unrealistic? Anybody? Anybody? just me and you. Okay, good. All right, so I'm running around the gym with my hair sticking out my teeth, and I'm running as fast as I can, and my weird friend Tommy's chasing me. And in the middle of running, I look up, and I see hanging from the top of the gym two gymnastics rings. And I thought to myself, self, 
this was my great idea. This is what you're going to do. This was my great idea. You're going to jump up in the air. I mean, that's amazing in and of itself. You're going to grab onto these rings. You're going to swing in the air. I'm thinking, dude, this is awesome. Tommy's going to run under me, and I'm going to drop down, and I'm going to be chasing him. I thought, dude, this is the greatest idea ever. So I'm running in real time at this point with my hair and my teeth, and all the kids are like, they're so weird. And I'm running in the midst of looking up at the two gymnastics rings. True story, Madison. I did not see the big, fat gymnastics mat that was on the floor of the gym. And so I went from running to flying, which was really cool at the time, all right? So I'm running, all of a sudden I'm like, Doo! and I'm like, Doo! and all the kids are like, all right? and when I woke up, <laughs> I was sitting Indian style. I have no idea. I was like, how? All right, so I'm sitting Indian style, true story, and every kid in the YMCA day camp is looking at me like this. I had no, I never had that many friends in my life. I didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, I start to feel something come from my mouth. I was like, it was blood. And I was like, well, that's not cool. And, um, and I realized in that moment that my two front teeth were gone. I looked like a Beverly Hillbilly. You know, that guy. And so I had no teeth. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, where are my teeth? Well, in the midst, I want you to know, in the midst of looking up at those rings and not, and not seeing the big fat gymnastics mat on the ground, I also did not see the balance beam that was underneath the rings. True story. I want you to know, I looked over at the balance beam and stuck in the balance beam were my two front teeth. They were stuck in the balance beam, just waving at me. Hey, over here. And all of a sudden, my friend Tommy, true story, my friend Tommy went over and pulled my two front teeth out of the balance beam. That is amazing. And he brought, they they came out root and all. They're like this long. I mean, when I hit that bad boy, it jerked me back and yanked my teeth right out of my mouth. And he put them in my hand, hit me on my butt cut, and said, all right, dude, you come chase me. All right? True story. They ran me across the street to Dr. Lang's office, my dentist. That's why I have all the details, because it happened to me. All right? They run me over there, and you know what he did with my teeth? He examined me really good, and he goes, well, they came out rooting all. We'll just shove them back in your head. And they shoved my teeth back up into my head. These are my same teeth about eight surgeries later. These are my same two front teeth. They look great. He said, I may have them until I'm 65. All right? and, and they stuck them back in my head, and I'm fully functioning to this day. Is that not the greatest story ever? All right, so if you ever thought you were weird or strange, just compare yourself to me. It should make you feel great. Okay, good. Everybody ready to go tonight? Y'all ready to get into it? I'm ready, all right? Now I'm a little winded. Here we go. Ready? Take your Bibles and open them up to 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians and go to chapter 13. It's where we're going to start out. Tonight, what I want to do is I want to talk to you guys about what it means to examine yourselves, what it means to investigate your life. And um, I, I don't know about y'all, but um, every uh, summer I take my um, family to the beach. We, we go to the beach. It's like vacation. My, my wife likes the beach. I, the beach is fine. I mean, but we go there. And uh, we go to Destin, and we go there, and, and we hang out. And one day I was out on the beach with my kids, and my wife and I are sitting in the chairs, and kids and everybody in Destin are out in the ocean because it was a nice day. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there, and I looked up, and... Um, 
I saw a fin, like a, a shark fin thing, okay? But I wanted to, you know, I saw this fin, and I thought, well, that could be a dolphin. That could be, right? And so I didn't want to, like, you never want to yell shark on a beach, okay? All right, so just takes me back to the Jaws movies. All right, so um, I'm sitting there, and then there's this moment where this fin gets closer to the shore, and I start getting nervous for all the people, and it's it's okay not to be cool at this moment, okay? It's like all the coolness goes out the window when I realize that it's really a shark. And so I jump up out of my chair, and I yell, shark! And everyone looked at me just like you're looking at me now. I said, shark! And then I took my hand, and I went, shark and I pointed and all these people who were looking at me looked where I pointed Madison and they saw the shark and mass chaos broke loose chaos I mean I'm talking about big people who should not be wearing a bathing suit start running into the ocean to save kids I mean like it was pandemonium all right and I run out in the ocean I grab my kids everybody's flipping out grabbing kids and running out of that why because in that moment, it was the most urgent, important information that people had. It, it was the most important thing we could know. We have loved ones that are out there in the water, and if we don't go get them, something bad could happen to them, right? And, and it was urgent. Nobody cared about looking cool. Nobody cared about anyone else's opinion or what they thought. It was just full-on chaos. We got to get everyone out of the ocean and get to the shore. That's all it was about. And tonight, the information that I have to share with you, that I believe God placed on my heart to share with you, I believe is the most urgent, the most important information that you will hear all week. In fact, it may be the most important, urgent information you have heard in your life. And so to that end, what I want to do is give you a, de a definition of what it means to examine so to examine something means that you inspect someone or something in great detail to determine their nature or their condition. In other words, you're going to investigate them thoroughly. You, you're going to inspect someone or something in great detail to determine their nature or their condition to investigate them Thoroughly. Now, how many of y'all in here have ever taken a test before? Anybody in here ever taken a test? Hey, how many of you guys just got done taking finals, all right? Yes, many of you. And so here's the thing, ready? I remember, how many of y'all have ever walked into a final and you were so prepared and you walked out of that thing, you're like, dude, I killed that thing. Yeah, anybody? Yeah. How many of y'all have ever walked into a final and you were just not prepared and you walked out and you're like, dude, totally failed that thing. Yeah, I've been there too. All right, we've all been on both sides. We definitely like... Uh, we definitely like knowing we did good instead of having to wait till the grades come out to find out if we did good or not. But, but here's the thing. Tonight, what I want to do is I want to ask yourself to investigate your life, not someone else's life, but your life thoroughly to determine your condition, to determine your nature so that you can know where you're at spiritually. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, there's some words I want to share with you. Here's what it says in chapter 5 of chapter 13. Everybody there? Here we go. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Paul says to the church 
to the people he's writing to here. He says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. He says, test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Paul loved his people so much that he wanted them to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt, 110% they could say that they were in the faith. That there was no doubt, there was no question mark, and, and he wanted them to know that they were in the faith. And he, he took it a step further. He said, not only examine yourself thoroughly, investigate yourself thoroughly to make sure you're in the faith, but what else does he say? He says, unless, of course, you fail the test. He says, test yourself. And, and so here's the question tonight. What is the test? How do we know? Beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are Christ's followers and we're in the faith. How do we know that our destiny one day is heaven and it's not hell? And I've done a ton of study on heaven and hell. And I can just tell you this from the results of my study. And I'll share some of that later with you tonight. But from the results of my study, there's only one place I want to be when my life is over. And that's heaven. And so why would someone want to live their whole lives, look at me, hoping they're going to be there? Why would someone spend their whole lives being 95% sure when God says you can know that you're in the faith? Why would we live like that? It's not like trying out for a basketball team where the coach comes in and posts a list and you go up to the list and you're like, oh, I'm hoping I'm on the list. This is more than that. This is for all eternity. And we can have confidence that we are in the faith if we pass the test. And tonight, I want to take you on a journey through Scripture. So that whether you're the strongest believer in the room, or you're the one that does not know God at all, that you can walk out of here knowing where you stand because we're going to walk out of here having investigated our lives. Let's pray together. God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move, that you would take me out of the equation, that the words of your Scripture would show us where we are in our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would examine ourselves thoroughly to know that we know you. That's my prayer tonight. And I pray we will walk out of this room with no doubt of where we stand. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I was speaking at a camp last summer um, in Houston, Texas. Middle school camp. I love middle school kids. Can I tell you why I like middle school kids? Look at me. They're just not too cool yet. They're just so much more honest than you guys. And that's not a knock on y'all. Y'all y'all got to keep it all together. I get it, okay? I get it. But junior high kids, they don't care. They don't care about wearing deodorant. They don't care about taking a shower all week at camp. They'll slobber when they talk to you. They just don't care. And every night that I would preach, there'd be this guy sitting right where you are, my man. And his name was J.P., and JP was a seventh grader. And, and every night 
after my sermon, he would come catch me. He'd be like, hey, man, can I ask you some questions? I was like, yeah. So we go back to the back of the room on the first night, Mass, and he goes, hey, uh, hey, Chris, um, you know, I don't know God. I love that. You know, a lot of us in here, we just try to act like we do if we don't, you know. But this kid just said, I don't know God. And he said, this is a big decision for me. He said, my parents probably will disown me. And there's background there. He's like, I just don't know. And so he'd ask me a question. And that night, I answer his question. He, all right, man, gives me a high five, goes out throughout his day. And the next night I preach, he'd say, hey, Chris, can I ask you a question? We go sit in the back. We answer the question. And on the last night of camp, I'm preaching. And I'm in the middle of the sermon. I'm not even like at the end of the talk. And he starts waving his hand at me on the second row in the middle of my sermon. I'm like, put your hand down. He didn't care. He's a middle school kid. All right? He's just waving at me in the middle of the sermon, and he starts pointing. He starts doing this. And at the end, he came up, and he accepted Christ, and he told me, he said, I knew halfway through the sermon that I needed God. And he says, I am not willing to leave here without nailing that down. And I wanted you to know in the middle of the talk, I thought, that's, that's my desire for you. That you can have confidence that you know God. And if you don't, that you can nail that down this week. How do you know that you can pass the test? How can you know that you're in the faith? That Paul tells us to test ourselves. How can we know that? Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to give you two things to look at in your life so that you can know that you're a believer in Jesus. Go to Acts chapter 9. I love the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And if you go here, let me give you a little background. Saul is going out and he is arresting Christians. The church has come on the scene. Thousands have come to faith. People are totally, totally freaking out over this whole Jesus movement and thing that's going on. And Saul goes out and his job was to arrest Christians. He would ransack their homes. He would kill Christians. He would throw them in jail. He would do all this stuff. This guy was a God hater. That's what's going on. And, and here in Acts chapter 9, I don't have time to read you the whole passage. You're going to have to stay when we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. But in Acts chapter 9, he's on the road. And he's on the road to Damascus to go and to arrest more people who proclaim to be Christians, to put them to death. And on that road, God shows up and blinds him and brings Saul, one of the most powerful men of the day, to his knees. And now Saul, the all-powerful, cannot see, and he's not so powerful anymore. And God brings Saul to his knees, and, and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul replies to him, who are you, Lord? Saul knew very well who was speaking to him. It was the Lord God Almighty. And God gives him instructions. And he tells him to go see this man. And that this man will be there, Ananias, to, to talk to him and to restore him and to help him understand what's going on. And so Saul gets led. You have to 
you have to envision this picture gets led by his soldiers to to uh, this house where Ananias is, and Ananias is petrified because this guy's been killing Christians. And they bring him in, and Saul confesses that God is real. And he gives his life to Christ. He repents of his sins. And if you look in verse 18 of chapter 9, Ananias places his hands on his eyes and immediately Saul was forgiven of his sins and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and immediately he was what? baptized this was the guy that was killing christians immediately gives his life to christ immediately he is baptized and we're going to talk about that because baptism is super super important he got up and he was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength look on and saul the christian killer look at what he does now And then Saul spent several days with the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, in Damascus. And at once, verse 20, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. The day before, he was going out to arrest Christians and put them to death. Now he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 21, and all those who heard him, they were astonished and they asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who would call upon this name, on Jesus' name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Everyone knew this guy. They couldn't believe what was going on. Look what happens. Verse 22, you should underline this in your Bible. Verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and his life baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. His life baffled them. How can you know whether or not you're in the faith? Here's the question you need to ask yourself. When you prayed to receive Christ, was there a change in you? Was there a change in your life? Did your desires change? Did your wants change? When Saul encountered Jesus, everything changed about his life. He went from killing Christians to preaching in the synagogues. He went from not believing in Jesus to believing in Jesus and surrendering his life. Saul then changed his name to Paul and is responsible for writing most of the New Testament through the, through the inspiration of God. Everything was different about his life. There was a change that happened in his life. Here's the question for you. Has there been a change in your life since you encountered God? Can you go, I am truly different now than what I was before? Is there a change? And what about your life baffles people? What about your life baffles people? Second thing, turn over to John 15. Turn over to John 15. 
First thing is, are you connected to the source? Has there been a change in your life where your desires have changed, that your life has changed? The second thing is, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? And I'm not talking about pineapples and strawberries and stuff like that. Are you bearing God's stuff? Is God's stuff coming out of your life? John 15, you've heard this passage a million, million times. We'll start in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4, remain in me, and I will remain in you, he says. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain connected to the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Then Jesus goes on. He speaks these words. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains connected to me and I remain connected to him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, such a branch is thrown away and withers. Branches are picked up, thrown to the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish shall be given unto you. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, that you should bear much fruit, showing yourselves, proving yourselves to be my followers, to be my disciples. The word disciple there means learner. Question for you, are you bearing fruit? When you encounter God, was there a change in your life? How are you different now than you were before? Because everyone who encountered Christ in the Bible was different after they encountered him. And then secondly, is God's stuff coming out of your life? As you put God into your life, is God's stuff coming out of your life? Is your desire to be connected to your lifeline in the word of God like we talked to this morning? Is your desire to talk to God through prayer? Is your desire is to let God be in you so that he can come out of you in everything you do, in your thoughts, in your actions, in your conduct. Think about that for a second. Is God's stuff coming out of your life? I wrote this down. I want to share it with you all tonight. Where there is no communication, there is no relationship. Where there is no communication, there is no relationship. Where there is no relationship, there is no trust. And the less you trust someone, it will be impossible for you to follow that person. Question for you tonight. How's your communication line with God? Because if you're not communicating with God, and God's not communicating with you, chances are there's no relationship. Where there's no relationship, there's no trust. And the less you trust God, it'll be impossible for you to follow. I was a youth pastor for 10 years in Germantown, Tennessee. 
And my wife and I, on a Friday night, went to a homecoming football game. It's a pretty typical youth minister's life. And we go to the homecoming football game at Germantown High School. And we're there to support one of our girls that was on the homecoming court. So my wife and I are standing on the fence down by the football field during halftime to watch the whole thing, you know. I've done it, I don't know how many times, too many. And uh, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden this guy comes running up to me. He's got no shirt on. He's painted completely red, and he's got a mohawk. And he runs up to the fence. He's on the track for some reason. He runs up to the fence and he goes, Chris Lovell, Chris Lovell, is that you? I'm like, who is this red man talking to me? My wife was like, I'm scared. All right, you know, we're standing there. It's like, Chris Lovell, is that you? I go, yeah, man, it's me. He goes, I'm Austin Brown. I'm Austin Brown. I looked at him real close and sure enough, it was Austin Brown. Let me tell you who Austin Brown was. When Austin Brown was in middle school, he's a senior in high school at this moment. When he was in middle school, I used to go to Germantown Middle School and I'd eat lunch in the cafeteria with the kids at Germantown Middle School. And Austin Brown was the guy that would always start the food fight. He was the guy everyone loved. He was that guy. And he would come on Wednesday nights up to the church, but he didn't like God at all. <laughs> but, but he kind of liked me. And he would steal my pizza. And he'd leave. <laughs> so I didn't really like the guy that much. He was kind of a punk, you know what I'm saying? And I hadn't seen him in three or four years. But here he is running up to me, painted red with a mohawk with no shirt on, yelling at me. And he said, hey, will you have lunch with me tomorrow? <laughs> are you going to be painted red? Are you going to put a shirt on? What, what's the deal? I go, yeah, I have lunch with you. I said, meet me at Chili's because we all know all good things go down over chips and queso. Okay, so I said, yeah, meet me at Chili's. I'll meet you there. So I go to Chili's and I walk in. And there's Austin. He's not painted red. Still got the mohawk, but he's got a shirt and everything was cool. And uh, he was sitting there and he was holding a Bible. And uh, I walked in. I said, what's up, man? And we sat down. I bought the chips and queso. And uh, he said, I brought you here because I need to tell you a story. I need to tell you what's happened to me. And I said, okay. When Austin Brown hit high school, he had older brothers. He was already popular. He became the most popular guy at that high school. And he became popular because of his older brothers because he would buy all the hotel rooms for the parties he was able to get all the drugs, all the kegs, all the liquor. And he, he was the social coordinator for what they called the ABC Club. Anheuser-Busch Club is what they called themselves. It was 60 of the most popular guys in the school. And he was the president of this club. And he starts to tell me about how he hates his life. And about how empty he was. And about how bad he felt for all the things he had done to his friends and all the stuff he had allowed them to get into. And he was empty. He had gone down to uh, Memphis and Mays when a bunch of big bands come into Memphis and play. And tons of people go down there. And he's a really crafty guy. And he had, uh, 
he went and sold parking spots in a parking lot that wasn't his um, all weekend during Memphis in May and made about 12 grand. He was had a very entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and uh, he drove home that day with 10, 12 grand in his pocket over the course of the weekend. He was driving home, hated his life, unhappy. He had everything that a high schooler would think you'd want to have. Popularity, girls, social status. Most popular guy in the school. He walked in his house unhappy and he went upstairs and he overheard his mom and dad having a fight. And he heard them talking about getting a divorce. Just another thing. And he said, Chris, I didn't know what to do. He said, so I got in my car. I was angry. And I took some of my money. He had a bunch of it. And he, he thought to himself, you know, the one thing I haven't tried in my life is God. And he drove to Lifeway Christian Bookstore on Winchester Road. And he went inside and he bought a Bible, the same Bible he was holding um, that day. This will be tough for me, just so you know. And he said, I bought this Bible and I went home and I prayed and I said, God, I know I don't know you. He said, but I'm just going to read. And he began on that day to just read the Bible. Started in Genesis and uh, started reading. Got through the Old Testament. A couple months went by. He gets into the Gospels. And it dawned on him that he was headed straight for hell. It dawned on him that this relationship with God thing was real. And it wasn't just something that the youth pastor, when they would come eat with him in the seventh grade, was just talking about. This was real. And on a Thursday night, with no band, with no speaker, with no church helping them, just an open Bible, God convicted Austin Brown of his life and of his sin. And Austin Brown cried out to God to save him on that night. At this point, I'm not eating many chips in the story. And he said, the reason I'm telling you this is because you're the only guy in my life that's ever tried to tell me about God. And I was flattered by that, sure. He said, but I need you to pray for me. He said, because tomorrow night, I've got to go resign as the president of the ABC club in front of 60 of my best friends. I said, all right, I'll pray for you. The next day, he comes up to the church, meets me. We go into our prayer room, and I pray with him that God would give him what he needs and the words that he needs to say. And Austin Brown walked in a room like this in front of his best guy friends, and he said something like this. He said, guys, tonight I am uh, resigning 
as the president of this club. I have given my life to Christ and I'm different now. I am so sorry if I've hurt you, if I've led you down the wrong path, if I've damaged your life. And he said, I want you to know I'm not the same. And if any of you would like to talk to me about that, I would love to talk to you. And he walked out the back door, came back to the church. We prayed some more. And then the most amazing thing happened in 20-something years of student ministry that I have never seen since. But over the course of that next year, we saw 49 of those 60 guys give their lives to Christ because a man stood up and was a man and told these guys what real life was all about. Austin Brown is 30 years old now. He's one of my best friends. And he loves Jesus more than anyone I know. But I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, he had to hit some hard places to get to that place where God humbled him. And the thing that stands out to me about Austin's life is that there was a change that took place. When he got connected to God, his desires changed. His actions changed. His conduct changed. not perfect. It's just like me and you. But then beyond that, God's stuff started coming out of his life. The more he read the Bible, the more God's stuff came out of his life. The more he was following God on a daily basis, the more opportunities he had to share with his friends. It's not a hard formula. But man, when God enters your life, there should be no question. God doesn't want you to live your life doubting your salvation. He wants you to live your life being confident that you have been changed and that there is a desire in you that longs for God and that God's stuff is coming out of your life. Jesus says, I will know my disciples, by the fruit in their life. What is the fruit? Godliness. What is the fruit, guys? Sharing your faith. It's loving scripture. It's change. It's just, it's God stuff. And I just keep going back to this, is that I just feel like you can know that you're God's disciple. And I just want y'all to know. I don't know. I told you earlier I'd done a lot of study on heaven and hell. And, you know, hell all throughout the Bible is a detestable place. And the first mentions of hell in the Bible, it talks about just this place in Jerusalem that's just nasty. That It's where they would dump trash and birds and 
animals would feast on this trash, and it was detestable. It smelled. In the first mentions of hell in the Bible, they would reference the most detestable place they could think of. And then you get into later on in the Bible, and you see references of hell, and and it being separation from God, and you get into Revelation, and Hades, and the lake of fire being the eternal resting place of hell, and it's a place of just spiritual torment, mental torment, physical torment, not for 30 minutes, but for a lifetime. And it's a place that there's no chance once you're there to get out. And then I do study on heaven, and I see this place that God has designed for those that love him. And as you read the Bible, in the book of John, it talks about, I will go and prepare a place for you, and when I come again, I will receive those that know me unto myself, that you may be where I am also. And my, and my good friend, Mike G. and the G-Rap crew put it so profoundly that there's streets of gold and a crystal sea. Oh, won't you come and hang with me? I just love that. A little rap for you. And when I think about heaven, I think about it like this. It's, I've never been there, so I can only think about what it's going to be like. And I think that's why the song I can only imagine was so popular for so long because we had never really thought about it that much. But I, but I really think that heaven's been misconstrued because, see, when I was growing up, there was this Snickers commercial. You can actually uh, Google this and uh, find the YouTube commercial of it um, way back when. But there was this Snickers commercial, and it, this is how I grew up viewing heaven, that you would stand in this long line at the pearly gates and you would get up there, and they'd be like, do you want a Snickers? And you're like, no. And this trap door would open up, you know, under you. And you're gone forever because you don't want a Snickers bar, you know. And I'm like, I, it's like, I grew up thinking that's kind of like heaven was that there's just going to be this weird place in my life where I got up there, and I was just hoping that they would find my name in that book, and the trap door wouldn't open, you know, and I'd be gone forever and fire or something and scare me to death. But I don't think that's how it's going to be at all. See, I truly believe, don't miss this, that when our lives are over, our physical lives are over, it's going to be, you know, Paul referenced this about running a race all throughout the New Testament. And, and, and if you can envision a marathon where there's thousands of people, you know, on, on the sides of the street cheering for you as you finish the race, as you finish your physical life, and all of a sudden you're running across the finish line of life into eternity, and all these people are cheering for you. And they're cheering your name. Why? Because they already know your name. Because you already know Christ. They already know your name. There's no uncertainty about whether or not you're getting in or not. But they're cheering you on as you cross the finish line. When you cross the finish line, it's like this huge celebration of finishing the race well. And there you'll encounter loved ones. We know this when we read the Bible about heaven. You'll encounter loved ones that have gone before you that were believers. 
We know that when we, when we get there that we're going to encounter people that, that were great believers of the Bible that, you know, that, that we've never gotten to meet and, and you know, all this stuff. It's just going to be crazy. And, and, and if I can just be a little weird with y'all for a second, I believe that they're going to roll all of us into this room. And this is just me. But, you know, I would envision it being like one of those rolly office chairs because they're fun to spin on. <laughs> but I believe they're going to put me in one of those and roll me in this room. And then I'm going to look up into the sky. And there's going to be the biggest Omnimax theater ever on the heavens. And I'm going to look up and there they're going to press play. And they're going to show my highlight video. And what's going to show... I believe is is that day when my dad led me to Christ. And I believe what's going to show as I'll share with you guys tomorrow night is the time when I was at the lunch table and had to stand up for my faith as a freshman, a new believer. And I believe what's going to show are the times when I came in late from hanging with my friends and I was tired and instead of going to bed, I would get on my knees and I would pray. I believe what will show is the time that I was fortunate enough to get to spend time with my friends and introduce them to Jesus. I believe it. Whether they accepted Christ or not, I believe those things are going to show. I think the times when all my friends were trying to get me to do something and I said no, that I couldn't indulge in that because I was a Christian, I think it's going to show. I think every time that I've ever been faithful to Christ and following after Him is going to show Him why. So that it can pump me up and show how great my life was? No. It's going to show to see how I used my life to make the God who saved me famous. And here's the question for me and you. If it all ended tonight, what would they have to show of your life? Have you examined yourself to know there's been a change in your life? That you have a strong desire to be about God? And are you bearing fruit? And if those things are true, you can live with confidence that you're His disciple. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And Logan's just going to come up and play behind me, just him. But I want you where you sit, between just you and God, to ask yourself this question. Just say, God, do I know you? If my life ended today, Beyond a shadow of a doubt, do I know you, God? Think about the change that took place in you when you encountered Christ. 
Think about whether or not you have a desire in your life to follow God. Think about whether or not you are bearing God's stuff out in your life as a result of you following Him. Ask Him the question, God, do I know you? Because I believe this. There is nothing more important in your life than this moment. Why would you not nail that down right now? You don't have to live being 99% sure. You don't have to live being 50%. You don't have to live hoping. You can live knowing. Having confidence of the fact that you have encountered a God that you have cried out to Him to forgive you of your sins, that He now has sent His Holy Spirit to reside in you. And that through your communication with God, through your prayer life, through studying the Bible, this desire for godliness is growing. And as a result of this desire for godliness in your time with God, God's stuff is coming out of your life. It's the greatest adventure of all time. But the reality is, is that some of you in here can't say that. And God's not mad at you for that. He just desires for you to nail that down. He desires for you to know Him in a relationship. Where there's communication, where there's trust, and where you can follow him all your days into heaven. There's so much on the line. Dear God, I pray right now, as we examined ourselves, that you would allow us to respond in what we know that we need to do. So I pray for these students that you would give them boldness that the enemy that's speaking into their ear, oh, you don't need to do that. The enemy would tell them, man, you're going to be embarrassed. Everybody thought you were a believer. Why does it matter? Other than the fact that tonight you nailed that down forever. Dear God, I pray that you give them courage and remind them that you were not ashamed of them when you died on the cross. So they should not be ashamed. Remind them that when you rose from the grave, that it was all for those who would seek to follow you. Move, God. And so tonight, with no one looking but me, if you say, Chris, I've examined myself, and I don't know that I know God, but man, I want to. I want to. I'm going to ask you, if that's you, when I count to three, would you just raise your hand? No tricks. If you say, Chris, I've examined myself. I don't think I know God, but I want to. If that's you, raise your hand in one, two, three. Go ahead, put them up. Go. Anybody be willing to admit that? Amen. Anybody else say, that's me? I've got to nail it down. I can't wait any longer. 
I've got to do it. You've got 30 seconds. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? About 15 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I'm going to ask you if you raised your hand, just stand up where you're at. Nobody looking but me. Just stand to your feet. Go ahead. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. Just stand up. Anybody? Anybody else needs to join? You can. for the rest of you tonight I just pray that God would continue to work you guys are a great group and if any of you are in here tonight and say Chris just pray for me I got something going on or struggling whatever 
say, will you just pray for me? Would you raise your hand real quick? Just put them up if I can pray for you tonight. Okay. I'm going to pray for y'all, and then after I pray, we're going to enter into a time of worship and just thank God for what he's done tonight. He's saved us all tonight. I'm so thankful. The Lord, thanks for tonight's message and for these students. Lord, thank you for the soul that entered heaven tonight and entered into a relationship with you that's changed forever. And Lord, for the rest of our students here tonight, I just pray for them because life is hard. It's not easy. And you know everything they're walking through, whether they admit it or not. And Lord, I pray that you administer to their hearts tonight. Where peace is needed, give peace. Where strength is needed, give strength. Where wisdom is needed, give wisdom. Comfort, give comfort. Where sin is strangling, I pray that you provide freedom. So I pray that your spirit would continue to move as we worship you tonight, dear God. And I ask you to continue to move this week.